Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Deacon Hoover Radio Network. This is Adam, and with me as always is the Deacon himself, the genius, the man, the legend, Alex Deacon. Alex, what's up? Adam, you are too kind. Um, how are you today? Uh, we're doing well. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. You're doing awesome. It doing looks awesome. like today we're going to dip in, and this is going to be a longer version, guys. This, we're going to have a lot of information, really good info that you're going to want to sink your teeth into. And it looks like we're going to talk about what an acceptable uh, ROI is today. And, you know, in a way, we've talked before about having infinite ROI, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, Alex, you know, in your mind, what, what do you think is an acceptable uh, ROI? That's, that's such a loaded question because it really depends where you're coming from. Now, what is your uh, what is your income status? How much money do you need to shelter? Are you looking at long-term short term how are you financing the the project there is no industry standard so to speak right because if you're a savvy investor and you're very good at what you do infinite is what you're looking for so mean meaning you're using other people's money and you are getting a return that means you are basically putting down zero and you're getting a return that's infinite right you have no skin in the game that's ultimately where every investor wants to be whether it's real estate or whatever doesn't matter so but if you're someone who doesn't do this full-time or you just don't have the time to devote to learning this industry and becoming a master at it then what is acceptable we're going to talk about you know what's acceptable to someone who makes a million dollars a year and just wants the tax shelter and the appreciation value and the ability to depreciate the asset over time for tax reasons and their ROI and what what should that look like and we're gonna go all the way to a person who's just new has maybe ten thousand dollars in the bank this is their first deal this is a big deal for them even though it's small it's still a big deal for them what's acceptable to them and what's acceptable to someone like myself and maybe what's acceptable to someone who's just a just an amazing success you know I, I consider myself successful and so to speak but there are minds and people out there that are 10 times smarter than me and 10 times better than I am at what I'm doing now. I just know what works. I know what works for me. So we're going to dive into what ROI should be based on where you are in your investment career. Okay. Now, and one thing you, you, you mentioned was um, you know, somebody that's a little bit newer into the game, I guess expectations should be tempered a little bit more than somebody that's been doing this and has a little bit more money in the game, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Your expectations have to be realistic, but when you're first, you know, you jump into this, you don't even know what realistic is. Right. You know, you you might listen to a podcast or read a book and that that person says uh, turn this $10,000 into 10 million in 10 weeks. That's just completely unrealistic. <laughs> so, but when you're new, you don't know what you don't know, so you don't know what realistic is. So I try to be real with with our listeners, and I try to be, you know, I try to temper my successes and my failures with, you know, what their reality is to come up with information that they can use to make decisions. Now, because it seems like it's going to be on a case by case basis too. What's the best way when you initially look at a project? What's the best way of thinking? Okay. Here is what I want to get out of my... My return on investment has to be at least this. What are things that you look for? 
There's the million dollar question, huh? That's a good question. It's it's okay. So let's just start out with let's start out with a person who's just getting started. Okay. okay let's start out with that person. Um, what's acceptable, in my opinion, to a person just starting out is first of all that person doesn't have the luxury of being able to make too many mistakes, right? Because that ten thousand dollars that they have is their life savings, and to make a mistake could wipe out their life savings and even put them into debt for years to come. Very, Believe me, I've been there. I've done it. Very thin okay? margin of error. So an acceptable ROI to that person, they just have to be very careful. And I tell them newbies, I say start with something super ultra safe. And how do you start with something super ultra safe? How does that look? That typically looks like. First of all, you have to diagnose in your life and your um, what you're good at. Okay, for instance, if you're a contractor, then you're going to look at an investment a little bit different than if you're an accountant or if you're a nine to five cubicle worker and you have no experience in in construction whatsoever. So are you going to go out, if you sit behind a cubicle all day and you never even touched a hammer, are you going to go out and buy something that needs a lot of work and expertise? I would say no. So you have to curtail your first investment to something very safe. So for that person, go out and find something that's more turnkey, that has very little downside, and not like maybe not a huge upside either. It's just medium. It's right in the middle. It's going to give you a very safe first investment it's going to keep that taste in your mouth good and you're going to enjoy it and then you're going to want to go on to the next one now if you're that contractor then you have the luxury of knowing people who can do electrical and drywall and plumbing and maybe you can do a lot of that yourself then you can go ahead out and find a better deal that needs work because all the good deals are typically most of them need work and they're ugly and they smell and they're nasty. Those are where you get the good deals. I'm not saying you can't buy one that's turnkey and absolutely perfect and a great deal, but they just come by fewer than the other one, the other alternative. That person's going to look at the investment completely different. Okay. So, how do you pick an investment? That's a good question and then what should that ROI be? That's going to be the next question. So, the your question was like, what should that look like? What should that investment look yeah, like? Yeah, yes. And that depends on who you are. Good, good, okay. good point. Uh, secondly is, okay, so what? So for that first investor who doesn't have the real knowledge of you know, how to pick up a hammer, how to put drywall in, is that contractor taking advantage of them or not because they don't know the, the lingo? Stick with something very safe. What's a fair rate of return? In my opinion is... If it's a very good area, like a good school district and a good high, medium, average like income, right, household income, and a lower crime area, then your rate of return, as far as that cash flow every month, is going to be less. It's going to be three, four, five percent. Five it is would be really good. Okay. And that's because you're paying for. That school district, you're paying for that high demand area. You're paying for an area that's going to do nothing but go up in value. And it strategically has done that for years and years and years. And you can look at the past and, and kind of dictate where the future is going to go with that property. Very safe. But your ROI is going to be low. But I think that's where you should start. And you should not necessarily be a newbie to start there. 
because if you're someone who doesn't who's who's again in that cubicle and doesn't know anything about construction and doesn't have the time to devote to learn that sector to manage those contractors to go and find those deals then you rely on your team members your agent your property manager your your attorney your accountant your team members are helping you find those deals and managing them but that comes at a cost you're not going to get infinite return you're not going to get 20 percent roi you're going to get a nominal roi that's in a great area that's better than any stock that i know of and that's where you want to be whether you're a newbie or someone who doesn't have the time to devote so what's a fair roi in, in a really really good area i think anything positive to be honest because the other benefits of opening a portfolio in a really good area are the benefits of appreciation is there it's always going to be there the demand is always going to be there so it's easy to get in and out exit strategy you could sell it because there's high demand three you're going to get a better client base as far as a tenant you're going to get professionals the higher income you're going to get the best tenant possible in a better area that's just a matter of fact and four it's it's low stress okay so good. So this is uh, we could talk about this for hours, literally. ROI, what's acceptable ROI is just it depends on the area, right? So let's now let's take the next one. Would be that same investor doesn't know how to pick up a hammer, doesn't know what a screwdriver is, and he wants to buy something in a a low desirable area. Low desirable area would be low medium income. Uh, higher crime rate, school district that's not desirable, what kind of tenants are you going to get there? You're not going to get the tenants who want their kids to go to the best schools. You're not going to get the tenants who are making $100,000 a year. It's just not going to happen. So there has to be a trade-off there. You're going to have more headache. You're going to have more social issues you're going to deal with. So therefore, you want a higher rate of return. You want higher cash flow now. Okay, right. so what does that look like? Should that be five, three to five percent? No, I wouldn't even touch something like that. I would want something double digits, right? And the icing on the cake when buying in an area like that, and this can be super, super important to know and to be able to analyze and figure out where is that next hot spot going to be? Because typically it's an area that's downtrodden and and really, really, like it's it's hit bottom, and that's where you want to focus and buy everything you possibly could in that area, because your upside is going to be tremendous, tremendous upside. But how do you know what that area is going to be? Where that next area is going to be? What it looks like? I don't I don't know that. I don't think anybody does. I'm sure there's some calculation out there that you can figure out if you look at enough charts and graphs and so on and so forth, but. Um, I haven't figured that one out yet. I mean, that's the pretty much the crystal ball that every real estate investor wants to know is where do I invest my money and for the next five or ten years deal with all the crap that you have to deal with in those areas as far as tenants and the social issues and collecting rents and finding tenants that are going to pay their rent and and suffer through that for the next five or ten years. Then year 11, holy crap, this business moves in or Google moves in here or Uber, Uber moves in there 
or they open up a new hospital here, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, year 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, that property went from, and I've seen it right here in Pittsburgh, that property went from, we'll just pick a number, $20,000 value to $100,000 value. I think here in Pittsburgh, East Liberty is a really good example of that, isn't it? Great example. That place was a war zone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Lawrenceville, yep. 10 years ago. I mean, I didn't, you know, you could buy stuff over there for ridiculously low amounts, and I never thought that, oh, that place is going to be the next hotspot, and um, values tenfold over there. 10000 it's now worth a hundred. Same property. It could be a... I mean, literally, just a frame and a shell right now is worth a hundred thousand, where you could have bought it for ten thousand ten years ago. It's almost like hitting the the real estate investment Powerball, so to speak. If you can mm-hmm. get in, and you know, and gentrification, you know, it, it's it's one of those very polarizing words where some people, you know, think it's like that's the devil, and some people see the positives behind it. You know, taking anything out of it, I mean, just it, it, long story short, when an area becomes gentrified, I mean, those are the areas that you typically would like to get in early because those would you'd see them, you would see a huge return on investment probably sooner than later. Yeah, but the, the again, how do you know where that area is going to exactly. be? Exactly. You you don't. There, there's a lot of. Um, so right now it's it's 2017, almost coming to the year end of 2017. There's a lot of hype about McKee's Rocks, and they're putting in some sort of uh, trucking railroad depot thingy or whatever. <laughs> where you know, it's it's a big big um, warehouse facility where they're gonna you know load and unload trucks and all that garbage. Okay, but how does that gonna affect the value of properties in McKee's Rocks? So just because someone's spending, let's say, $3 billion in this area, like they call it a brownstone, I think, or brownfield area. It used to be like, you know, uh, steel mills. Mm-hmm. Now it's just this vacant land right on the river. How is that going to affect the value of McKee's Rocks right. business? So maybe it's going to bring two or three or 400 people to come to work every day, but they're not going to say... Oh, well, since I work here, why don't I just live in McKees Rocks where the crime rate is right. high? And no, they're going to move to a better location close mm-hmm. by. So maybe knowing that, you can focus on the perimeter areas, not in McKees Rocks. So this, what I'm saying is just because something's happening and it's in the news or it's happening now and for sure it's going to take place, that does not mean that that property value is going to increase mm-hmm. at all. And it sounds like it doesn't mean to single out that particular area either. Like almost, you know, yes, look at that area, but also keep your eyes around the surrounding areas too. Because a lot of times, I mean, you know, when just a personal example, when the Pittsburgh International Airport was thriving here, I know, you know, I I grew up in Aliquippa, Aliquippa Hopo area. I can't tell you how many people from that area worked at the airport because it was only 10 minutes away. You know, so it wasn't people looking at Finley Township. It mm-hmm. wasn't people looking at Moon. It was reaching out into Center Township, Hopo Township, Aliquippa. And property value was a lot higher, I, I, I think, than when, obviously, when the steel mills were booming, but even when the airport was booming. So it's one of those where it don't, I hear what you're saying, like don't mm-hmm. focus just on where the new plant is going to be or where the new uh, Google headquarters is going to be. Think well, here, about the Here's printer. how you can eliminate a lot of that risk. Okay, so let's pick on, let's pick on like Hopewell and Beaver County. Mm-hmm. They're doing that multi-billion dollar fracking facility thing, mm-hmm. right? 
how's that going to affect value? I, I for sure that's going to increase the housing market. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how it's going to do it, but it, it's going to do it somewhere, somehow, to the better. But where? Where's that going to be? Right. Um, the key is okay. So if you're going to bank on that, and you're going to say, okay, I know that that's coming. I'm going to start buying everything I possibly can in in and around those areas. Then it's real simple. You make sure that the current properties cash flow, just like that that economic change was not going to happen. So therefore, you're buying all these properties in an area that's maybe less desirable, but they're still cash flowing. They're making money, and you made a good investment, even if it doesn't increase with that economic boom, so to speak, is coming. It's okay. almost like you're adding that extra layer of protection for yourself. Yeah. So if it make so you don't want to okay, let me buy everything in this area and break even or even lose money because I feel in my gut that this business is gonna come in here and everything's gonna explode. Because what if it doesn't? And how many people can sit back and absorb a loss year after year after year waiting for this potential upswing? Not many people can do that. And I think it's just it's being frivolous with your money. You have to respect money. You don't love it, but you have to respect what it can do for you and put it to work for you. So, in my opinion, uh, that's I, that's not something I would I would like to do. Buy something and and hope and throw and roll the dice. It, it seems it, it does seem a little bit. Especially uh, what I was saying is growing up down that way. It does seem like there's more of a roll of the dice to that area than there is to maybe some other areas. Mm-hmm. It, it is more of a gamble. It seems like. Yeah. But, um, but that's that's I, I guess that's especially in the more rural areas. I guess that's a, a good a good way to look at it. Is always well, here, make sure you get here's that another cash one. Flow. They're doing a an, uh, a highway interchange out in Washington County, like McDonald area and stuff like that. Okay. For sure, that's going to impact the value of that area because you can't really get to McDonald without going a whole bunch of back roads and it just takes 20 minutes to get there when when that new interchange comes change comes in there it it might cut your travel time in half and that's a big impact so it's good to know where's that going to be where are the exits going to be you know i mean there's that's definitely something to look at know where the highways are going to come in but here's the other thing that might take five ten fifteen years because you know we don't. We ran out of money. Sorry, we can't do it. The state says the funding went somewhere else. I mean, you just again. So if you're buying in that area, yeah, buy it all, buy everything, but it has to cash flow at the current market conditions. Like nothing was going to change, other than what's happened in the past is probably going to continue happening in the future. Nothing crazy. Now, if that interchange just comes in in five or ten or fifteen years, then you have hit the jackpot. That's the icing on the cake. So. What's the good ROI? We discussed a good area, mm-hmm. lower numbers, low ROI. It's just a matter of fact. It can be hard to find double digits in good areas. Um, the best way to find a good property in a good, bad, or medium area is one that needs a lot of work. Okay, One that has, maybe it's a, a duplex and it can be a three unit. So you can actually build value into it. You can change. You can actually change what the property is now to, to, to its highest and best use. That's how you can 
create wealth and create ROI by gotcha. thinking outside the box. But it's not just that simple either because I see people make the mistake all the time. I had a client who buy a two-unit even though it was set up as a three-unit. And she wasn't my client, but they bought it. And then I told her, just be careful because you don't necessarily know that you'll be able to use it as a three-unit. And they were not able to use it as a three-unit. So thankful for them, the two units more than paid for themselves and it still made sense. The three-unit was icing on the cake, but don't bank on it. You know, right. If they would have bought that and the third unit was going to be the profit and it couldn't be done because zoning wouldn't allow it, then you've just made a huge mistake. You're you're shuffling a bunch of stress for it to to break even, correct? Or take a loss, yeah. In some in some instance, yeah. Um, so but good area. Know that it's you're you're probably looking at maybe the about two, three, four, five, five percent. You were saying is probably pretty good if it's in a good area, but single single digits, single digits, yeah. high single digits on a very very good affluent area is an amazing investment. But I mean, you know, the, the positives between that are low stress, there's a higher demand, better tenants, um, you know, typically better school districts, mm-hmm. uh, crime is, is usually a little bit lower, um, you know, but like you said, you could still, you, there's still money to be made in those, those uh, you know, the lower areas, the lower desirable areas, so to speak. Um, and, and, the, and the good areas are predictable. Yes. So you can predict more or less. As long as you do your homework on, like, un- understand if the building's a, a piece of garbage and you haven't predicted or you haven't budgeted for the proper repairs over time, then you're going to lose money, good, bad, or or, or medium area. Right. You're going to lose money. So there's a lot more to this than just buying the property. You have to buy the property at the right price, know what capital expenditures you're going to have to come up with, know that you're going to have to do some improvements here and there and there over the next five years. Um, but generally speaking, a good area, all things considered, is predictable and it's safe. And then we talked about a bad area. You want a higher rate of return, high singles, and then into the double digits. And know what you're getting into there. And hopefully there's some upside, potential upside down the road, like economic development or highways coming in and such like that. And then we could talk about like middle of the road stuff that's, you know, medium uh, income is average, uh, crime rate is acceptable, school district is good it's not great and it's not bad it's just good and those those rates of returns are going to be somewhere in the middle now this question might be out of left field but to somebody that that would be more on the um an outsider looking in so to speak um you know if you're listening in the pittsburgh area you'll know what i'm talking about if you're outside of the pittsburgh area um uh, definitely google this mall you'll you'll get some laughs out of it but like right now for example century three mall it, for all intents and purposes, it seems like that is going to come to a close sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Is that an area now? When you would snapshot that, is that an area because of you know there were there were a lot of jobs there? Um, it seems like a lot of businesses are pulling out from from that area, even along that strip there. Is that something that you would take into consideration too? Do you look at um, you know major developments closing up like that? Do you look at if businesses you know just like you were you would, we would think long term like okay is you know is Google gonna expand and how are they gonna ex- yeah, expand? Yeah, okay. Here? So you want to look, start reading the papers, talk to some people in the know in mm-hmm. that community, mm-hmm. maybe some of the politicians who know what's coming there. Maybe there's a huge. A business park coming there and that's going to attract a lot of people that are going to want to work and be close to home and that could affect the value right so 
yeah, anything significant you need to look closely at. And I think to, to kind of piggyback off of a lot of what you're saying, and and I think to anybody out there, if this would make if this would make sense, you know. And let me let me digress. Absolutely. So the mall closing, I think I, I don't think affects the the immediate areas area. or anything, right? Because most of those mall jobs are just menial, like a lot. Not that they're not important or anything. They're just they're more um, lower income jobs. Mm-hmm. So that's really not going to affect the value of the real estate necessarily around, and especially with now that just malls are going kind of reducing size and stature mm-hmm. because of all the online you know services yep. you just get something delivered to your door now but so a mall closing to me doesn't really affect in my opinion the the real estate market value maybe commercially but not as much residentially oh, okay okay yeah. good to know and because the one thing that that i was actually gonna the chime in on the piggyback is a good way of at least what i'm hearing out of this is a good way to to think about when people are investing Especially with how the job market is constantly changing, what's coming into Pittsburgh or whatever area you happen to be in. You know, I am a guy that used to travel 10 minutes to work. I'm also a guy that used to have to travel 85 miles round trip every day. You know, so I can guarantee you that I would much rather be 10, 15 minutes away from work than have to drive to be on the road two to three hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think that a lot of people, I think that's that's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I, I think that's something that we take for granted. That there's still some simplicity in the in human nature of wanting to be close to home and close to where you work. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think somewhere along the lines we kind of forgot about that. But it sounds like from what you're saying is it's it's it, always keep that in the back of your mind because that could d- turn into turn into you know it could be a little bit of cash flow right now, but long term it could turn into major cash flow with the right development with the right you know because. Everybody wants to be closer to home. I don't want to take. I don't want to take an hour to get home to see my wife and kid. I want to be home and in fifteen it, minutes. <laughs> that's a really good way to look at it. And and just to piggyback on that, yeah, you could buy something that's out there a ways, but you just have to buy it at out there a ways prices yep. because you're going to get less rent. People don't want to have to if they live if they work in the city of Pittsburgh and have to travel an hour. There's a really high probability you're going to get a lot less rent there than if they had to travel ten minutes. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no good or bad, and plus or minus of either area. You just have to buy at that price. Like yeah. some people never buy two bedrooms. And I say why? You buy a two bedroom at a two bedroom price. It's a good investment. I bought one bedroom homes at a one bedroom home price. They they all make sense. You can buy a five bedroom home, but you just have to know what you're buying, what the market is for, and that's that has nothing to do with ROI. That really has something to do with you knowing the market, know what the demand is, know what the rents will be, what the turnover will be. Then you can figure out what your ROI will be. Okay, so we discussed, and how much time do we have? We still got time. We've got another 15 minutes if we need it. Okay, so again, we could talk about this for quite a while and not even like skim the surface because there's just so many intricacies about what we're discussing here. So, it just went dark in here. Oh, it's light again. Now it's dark again. So, we talked about what's an acceptable ROI. That is such a a loaded question. What's acceptable to you? I have no idea. I'm just trying to give you what I think is reasonable with the average person who doesn't have the experience level that, that I do and doesn't have the time to devote to this business that I do. What should be reasonable expectations for them? Okay, 
Now we could talk about where you ultimately want to be, and that's infinite. Mm-hmm. You want you want to use none of your own money, if at all possible, and you want to be able to refinance. If this is buy and hold strategy, you want to be able to refinance and get that person who you borrowed the money from paid off, right? So essentially use their money to purchase it, rehab it, fix it up, rent it. Then you go to the traditional bank, get your loan, pay off that lender who lent you the money initially to do the project, and you essentially had zero money in the transaction. That's ultimately where you want to be. Even a better position would be same scenario, but at the refinance, maybe you pull out. Maybe you put so much money into there's so much good work and you go into it and the right work and you bought it at such a low price that now it's worth so much more that when you go to the bank to get the loan to refinance, you can actually pay off that lender, right? The one that you borrowed the money on to purchase it. You can pay them off and still walk out of the closing with a check. Gotcha. $10,000. That's what you see on TV all the time. They, they, they bait, you know, they bait on these people that, look, I walked into the, I bought this property, zero money down. I walked out of the closing with $30,000 after I refinanced. It's possible. But don't, it's not a, your business model that it's going to work. 100% of the time. Right. Those those deals don't happen all, all the time. It's one of those in the fine print you see results may vary. These are yeah, like, you that's, know what I mean? that's like one out of the 100 <laughs> students that paid all this money to, you know, learn how to do this stuff and it's just not reality. Right. It's where you want to be. That's the the ideal scenario and I've done it, but it's not that easy. Okay, it, especially where the banks are today and lending protocol is different. It's harder to get the loans and loans have to be seasoned. Properties have to be like rented for so many years and or months, and it's it's very very it's much more difficult now than it was like ten years ago to do that. But that's ideally where you want to get starting out in this business. You want to shoot for that, and when you grow up as a real estate investor, that's where you want to be. No money out of your pocket. So it's like think infinite, be realistic, and know where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know your limitations right now. Don't try to be uh, the, the real estate tycoon when you haven't even bought your first house. Right. Okay. Yeah, you take, can't be Mr. Monopoly before you it, make your first take transaction. Take it slow. Exactly. For like um, uh, Robert Kiyosaki says, you know, four greenhouses, then you put the hotel on. <laughs> you know, Monopoly. Well played. So the ROI for the, your goal as an investor, infinite ROI. Okay, so let's look at a couple of different scenarios. Um, I'm working on one right now. It's not a big deal. It's a it's a little duplex. The duplex I paid forty four thousand dollars for. I borrowed all of the money to purchase and to rehab. Now I, I made some mistakes. Um, I hired the wrong contractor. I'm paying for that now. I gave that contractor too much money down. Never do that. I've been doing this a long time. I say don't ever do that, but I did it. Right. And they're they're really screwing me over here. So chances are I'm gonna have to ultimately come up with some money and hopefully this contractor comes through. But I'm gonna be over budget. I'm gonna be over what my loan amount is. This is the name of the game. You make mistakes, you learn, you get up, you, you do it over. Test yourself off, do it all yeah. over again. So but in this particular scenario, so let's just say my loan amount is a hundred thousand dollars. 
I paid 45, that leaves me 55,000 for rehab. So I'm doing the rehab. I might be 60 or like 60,000 or maybe 70. So that means I'm going to have to come up with 5 to 15,000 dollars of my own money to finish this properly. It happens. Mm-hmm. Now, when this property's done and it's fully rented, I'll have about 115,000, let's say 110,000 dollars into it. Okay. It's going to rent for almost 2,000 dollars a month. Okay? It's in a medium area. Medium to low, like it's not super good school district, it's not high average income, but it's it's right, right about in the middle, maybe a little bit on the lower side. But it's going to be worth about $160,000. So at $160,000, the bank's going to lend me, let me get my calculator out here, $160,000, the bank's going to lend me 75% of that. So that is $120,000. And we already discussed, I have 110 into it. Okay? So 110,000 into the property. Now remember, I'm going to have bank fees, appraisal fees, yada, yada, yada. So out of that 120,000 that the bank's going to let me borrow, okay. probably 5,000 of that is bank fees, appraisals, um, title search, da, 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 da. I might legitimately be able to walk out of this closing with $5,000. Okay. That means I would get all of the money I went over. Remember, I went over the hundred thousand yep. dollar loan, and I put an additional ten or whatever into it of my own money. So I'll get all of that back, and I might be able to walk out of the closing with five thousand dollars. Worst case, worst case, I'm probably just going to walk out of the closing with my overage on the on the budget on the repair budget, and basically, I essentially did buy that with zero money down. Although, for a short term, I had to come up with some money to finish the project. Okay, But that's where you want to be okay. on every one of your projects from this point going forward. Gotcha. Okay. If at all possible. That's not always going to happen, but ideally, if you could do this every day, and you could buy a property once a month and do it like this, you would have essentially no limitations. You could go on forever. You could ramp it up to five properties a month. Right. Ten properties a month because you are not using your money. Right. Okay? That's so. That's where you want to be from buying one house as newbie to eventually you're buying as many as you want, five, ten, twenty. How big do you want to be? Right. You know how much can you handle? Because this is not easy. Just right. because <laughs> I'm showing you how to do it on paper, you're doing one or two of these. You're gonna feel how difficult that is just in a year. And I'm doing you know two to three to four of these a month. And it becomes extremely difficult. And I know people doing 10 to 15 of these a month. I don't know how they do it. Right. Without losing their sanity. What would you say to somebody starting out? Because, uh, you know, in, in one of your in-person seminars that I attended a, a couple weeks ago, um, a lot of people were in their first year, second year. You know, they were really, they were really you know, grabbing on to your every word. So for your opinion and your experience, from your experience, what would you say to somebody maybe in their first, second, third, you know, year, um, you know, really just starting out, what what would be good on a monthly basis maybe to try and handle? And every person's different, obviously, we know that. Um, would you recommend that one to two houses per month or? No, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I tell everybody, and it's the same thing 
And I, every, I swear every podcast, I'm saying the same thing because it's no different. <laughs> it's no different than when, you know, I'm not like, you know, a great baseball player or anything like that. But when the coach tells you, keep your eye on the ball, mm-hmm. that never changes, mm-hmm. right? Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your elbow up high in the back. I, anything, like their swing is the swing is the swing. And the way you swing that bat, it doesn't change. So you master the little things and that's what you have to do in this business or any business no matter what you do whether it's taekwondo or buying real estate you have to master the basics master the fundamentals and everything else falls into place yes so what are the basics the basics are education you have to educate yourself okay some people just take that to the extreme and they just they spend boatloads of money on these uh, other these um you know, gurus, so to speak, and they just dive in. You know, I'm saying just get some books, read the books, listen to podcasts like this, go to real estate meetings and local groups, and eventually do it. You got to do one small deal. Make sure that deal is very safe, very solid, easy in, easy out. If you make a mistake, you limit your exposure. Okay, that's number one. Two, you have to build a team. You have to have a good agent or agents, good property manager good mentor, someone you could go to for advice, good contractors, good attorney, good accountant, okay? You have to have those things in place. Meet with those people. Interview them. Don't just pick somebody because, you know, it's just, your team member is someone you want to be with for quite a long time. You have to trust them. So yeah. build your team. Okay, that's, so where are we at? Build your team, take it slow, educate yourself, knowledge, and then finally get get out there and do it, right? Three, take it very slow. If it takes you a year to buy that first house or two years, fine. The next one will take you six months. The next one will take you four months. You'll become more acclimated at it. You'll be better at sniffing out the good deals and staying away from the bad deals. Your instincts so will start to be honed a little yeah, bit. Yep. Don't rush. Don't be greedy. Okay? You have to be greed kills, speed kills. I can't tell you how many people get greedy. They they step over a quarter, so to speak, to pick up a dime. You know, you have to be penny wise and pound foolish or I can't enough enough saying that right, but just don't be an idiot. Penny wise, okay? we all we all float down here. That's a joke that only a couple people are gonna get. But just just take it slow. Uh Sometimes you have to spend money to make money. You have to you have to hire a good accountant and a good attorney. Those guys aren't cheap. But your most expensive advice is the free advice. What's what I've learned, okay? It can be the most expensive advice. I'm not saying that free advice isn't good. It is good, but it's it's all good advice. It's all good information, but you have to gather it, kind of digest it. Think make, about make it, sense of it and all. then make yep. your decision. You know, As you grow as an investor, you make the right decision. Because no one can make those decisions for you. You should be making the ultimate decision. You just have different advisors showing you what are the pros and cons of doing this and doing that. And then you make the decision. You're a big boy or a big girl, and you have to make those business decisions ultimately. So does that... I mean, that kind of answers your question. Absolutely. As as, yeah, absolutely. Those are the ABCs of... Of, of being a real estate investor or a businessman or entrepreneur it, it's sticking with the basics first you know then the next magic pill and the next 
lease option and land contracts and all that other stuff. You'll learn that. You'll learn how to do those things. Those are different podcasts altogether. But stick to the basics and you will absolutely be fine. And patience is key. That's and one patience. thing it sounds like. Pa- yeah. Patience don't, you know. Like but here's we- the thing about patience. Don't, you can't be, you can't analyst, uh, what do they call it? Uh, analysis paralysis. Right. And you right. can't just, you can't be stuck like a deer in headlights. Mm-hmm. At some point you got to make a decision. So I'll tell you this. If you are a procrastinator, that's a habit. And I have it too. I, I procrastinate certain areas. It's weird. Certain things I don't and certain things I do. If you are a procrastinator, you will not be successful. So you have to kick that habit. You have to become better at not procrastinating. And that's going to come with knowledge and education and building that team and taking your time. But if you procrastinate, that's a, that's a habit you need to break. I think that comes along with trusting your own instincts too. Once mm-hmm. you start to trust your own instincts, then you're, yeah. you're less likely to of procrastinate course. too. Yeah. Yep. So that is a lot to take in. Alex. It is, that is a lot. We did. I think this is one that people are really going to enjoy, though. I mean, it's not, you know, when these podcasts aren't like you can just take notes and say, okay, if I do this, this, and this, then my ROI should be this, this, and this. And I will be wealthy and, and, and secure financially by year X, Y, and Z, and everything will be fine. It, it's not that. It's just this is just information that you gather to ultimately help you make the decision. I'm just, I'm just basically telling you how I've done my business and how I've succeeded and how I've failed multiple, multiple times, and how I've grown and learned from those successes and failures. That's all I'm telling you. But you ultimately have to step up and make those decisions. But this isn't, um, this isn't like the type of business. Where if you just do steps one through ten, you're going to be successful. Right. It's step one through a hundred. Right. Really. But steps one through ten are really important because those are the basics. So whatever you learn today, just remember if you stick to the absolute basics of real estate investing. And we talk, we we touch base on on some of them. Actually, we could do a whole session on just the basics. Yep and discuss probably five or six basics and break them down and how do you build that team and how do you educate yourself and where where should you educate yourself where should you spend your time where should you not spend your time because again it all boils down to again every podcast i think we talk about this is there's only 168 hours in a week and you know you're only on this planet so many days and how much time do you want to spend you know here that's it's just good quality time. Right. You know, so nobody wants to grow up and be a real estate investor and have no social life and no family and no, no friends. I have to have that happy so, balance. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have that happy balance. And like you said, like, and we've talked about this on, on several of our shorts and, and, you know, the couple long forms that we've done. It all comes down to, in the end, it comes down to your instincts. It comes down to being realistic. You know, like we just said, think big, think infinite. But be realistic, you know. You know, be realistic. You know, keep grounded at the same time. Uh, a grounded mind with big ideas a lot of times leads to a lot of success. Amen. So, Alex, I think for for this one, for for acceptable ROI, unless there's any final thoughts you have, 
I think we can put a wrap on this one. We can. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, uh, for Alex and for everyone at Deacon Hoover Real Estate Advisors, we thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Uh, what is an acceptable ROI? Guys, you want infinite. That's what you're aiming for. Uh, but we've given you some examples on where uh, single-digit percentages would be okay in, in some good areas. Uh, in some lower, less desirable areas, you want to aim for double digits. And listen, please check back to our website, dhrea.com forward slash learn. All of our long-form tutorials will be will be listed on there. Check out iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, uh, uh, Podomatic. I mean, you name your favorite podcast service out there. We are also on there. Just search Deacon Hoover. Subscribe, like, comment. Please let us know how we're doing. If you have any topics that you guys want us to cover, please contact us. Let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at Deacon Hoover. And from the Deacon Hoover Radio Network, this has been Adam along with Alex. We appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next time.